Hello, and welcome back to the Mastering Communication podcast, where every episode I sit down with another interesting guest from the field of communication to share their knowledge and expertise. I am your host, Dominique van Aalte, and today I'm here with Yannick Wasmer. Uh, Yannick works as a senior consultant at Rails Partners, where he helps governments and companies to make progress on complex challenges. Previously, he has worked as a learning facilitator at the Master in International Communication at the Hanse in Groningen and the Master in Strategic Leadership towards Sustainability in Sweden. Yannick is a facilitator of multi-stakeholder collaboration for sustainable change and an experienced communicator and change maker. Thank you for joining me today, Yannick. Thank you for having me, Dominique. It's wonderful to be here. Of course. Uh, so to start off, I'd like to give you a small challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, can you introduce yourself in one sentence? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a tough challenge. Huh? Let me give it a try. Um, so in one sentence, I would say my name is Yannick, a lover of intercultural communication um, due to my own background and a fundamental believer in collaboration as one of the most important capacities for human beings. Something shift. like that, huh? Yeah, I'll shift my microphone a little bit so I can see you. <laughs> yeah, that's even uh, better. Yeah. Um, so to start, uh, what is your connection to the field of communication? Because you do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. So I started off with communications. when I was born and raised here in Groningen, um, but I come from an Indonesian family. And I think I've always been fascinated by my own heritage and my own background. I grew up in a predominantly white environment and I was always one of the few brown kids in uh, families, always one, uh, the odd duck standing out in the crowd in a sense. And um, I think that has always shaped my experience quite a lot. Like always when you, like stuff makes sense in hindsight, right? And so if I look back at my life in hindsight, I think that was quite formative. So just as a little little anecdote, as a kid, I would play with my friends. And then when my friends would come and play at my house, my mom would always have enough to eat and stuff. And, and friends could always stay for dinner. But whenever I would go to my friends um, at their place, around five o'clock, their mom would always look at their watch and say, Yannick, it's five o'clock. We're going to have dinner. And I was like, oh, that's fun. What are we having? And then they were like, no, you can't stay. You need to go some, You need to go back home to have uh, dinner. And it was always like, I always didn't sit well with me or I was, um, yeah, I was always confused by that. So I think in hindsight, that was, that really shaped my experience. When I finished high school, I didn't know what to do. So as many people, you start doing communication. So I did a bachelor's in communication sciences at the University of Groningen and um, didn't really enjoy it. Hmm. But there was this one piece that was called intercultural communication. And that started to make sense for me, give my own background. Um, I kind of fell in love with that academic discipline, did a master's in intercultural communication at the University of Utrecht. And I always thought I was going to do something with that piece of my work. Uh, I always envisioned going into development kind of work. But then for some reason, I ended up at the local government in the Netherlands and fell in love with this bigger sustainability challenge um, that we're in. And I would say that the relation to communication and everything what I do is actually through dialogue um, Mm. and to help people be in better conversation together around some of the toughest challenges that we're facing as mankind, I would say. Yeah. So I think that's my... um, my connection to the field of communication. Yeah, so you yeah. kind of stumbled upon it when you didn't really know which direction mm-hmm. to go and that kind of steered you into the direction that you're now mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. so one of the questions that I, that I had as well was in what way is intercultural communication part of your work? Because that seems like one of the main mm. focuses for you. Yeah, I think it always is um, and always has been. So as said, I, I think it's just my personal background and a quite 
early on realization, I guess, about what it means to be brown in a predominantly white environment. And so I think in, in, in all of my work, it has always been part of it. So I've also been a teacher, um, mm -hmm. also at the, the Masters in International Communication, but also in uh, at a university in Sweden around leadership and sustainability. And I've always tried to bring in a an, an intercultural lens to, uh, to the work that I do. And, and, and at the moment, um, a lot of my work is around working with and against institutional racism and okay. um, decolonization and, and that broader field of that I think you see popping up in society quite yeah. a lot at the moment. And I think it's an, uh, it's an exciting field and an exciting conversation to be part of. So I think in a sense, it's, it's always traveling with me, I would say, this intercultural lens to the world. And um, yeah, something yeah. like that. That sounds like a, a very turbulent field almost because these are mm. subjects that can be quite touchy mm -hmm. for some people. How do you navigate that? I think we're all learning how to navigate that. For many of us, there's a, a deep longing to be to be better at it, to reconcile with, with some of the uh, yeah the legacies of, of colonial history and, and uh, white supremacy and, and capitalism and, and and all of that. But but yes, it is it is a it's a um, it's a tough tough field both in terms of helping people to to be in conversation around it but also for myself to to be in it because like I literally have skin in the game and, yeah. uh, and there's a lot of emotional labor and a lot of emotional work that you need to do and able to to do that work so yeah re like in my organization at Rios Partners we're on a big journey around um, becoming a more racially equitable organization. And I've been one of the people leading that conversation as well. And I work a lot in London at the moment, specifically around black communities and institutional racism and everything that comes with that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, it is a, it's, um, how did you call it? Did you call it like a dynamic or what was Turbulent. Turbulent. Yeah. Yes, it is definitely turbulent. And it's, uh, it's a sensitive conversation yeah. uh, and people often have different entry points into the conversation. There's been people who've been in this work for decades and decades and decades. And there are people who are just entering it or completely unaware of, of some of the dynamics in the field. So yeah, it's definitely yeah. turbulent. Yeah. yeah. Especially since for, for some, for white people, for example, mm -hmm. this isn't a conversation that we've really thought about mm -hmm. that much, I believe. Mm -hmm. And especially since the Black Lives Matter movement, it's something that's really gotten into the, the mainstream news as well. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I can imagine that that influences your work as well, mm -hmm. the, the, the way that the media influences that mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting what you're saying about, uh, about white people, mm. that you haven't been in the conversation, right? And that's also the privilege that you have as white people that often you are not part of the conversation because you're white and that's the standard and other people have been having that conversation yeah and yeah one thing that I'm, I'm learning which is which is i think one of the biggest challenges is to to create spaces where both white folks brown folks black folks indigenous people can actually all be in the same conversation without it being harmful and hurtful to people it, it needs is, to be a safe conversation yeah. in that sense as well yes yeah. yeah and at the same time the safety shouldn't limit our capacity to go deep and to be yeah. willing to challenge yeah. Um, the status quo. So that's often a, a dynamic that we're trying to, to work with. Yeah, uh, because sometimes the most difficult conversations need to be had, yes. but they are also at the, the most sensitive mm -hmm. or even the most misunderstood mm -hmm. in some situations. Mm -hmm. So how do you approach those complex challenges, as you mentioned mm -hmm. it um, before? Mm -hmm. Like, how, how do you navigate something that is so intertwined and, and almost yeah, how do I? I'm not entirely even sure how to phrase it because mm -hmm. it's it has so many different angles. So mm -hmm. I wonder how mm -hmm. you go about that. 
Yeah, I think your the, your your starting point is 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 quite important. Like the 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 intertwinedness and the interconnectedness of of all of these issues, right? Like like even if you look at some of the biggest, like if we're talking racial equity, Black Lives Matters, um, fighting systemic racism, and let's say the climate crisis, like oh, those two are also intertwined with each other, right? Mm. Like it's often. Um, black and brown people suffering the, the toughest burden from the climate crisis. It's often women who are at the forefront. And I think one of the, the key key things is to, to start from that interconnectedness. I think um, as society, for such a long time, we've been trained in thinking things are separated from each other. Like even mm. if you look at um, the way our education is being taught, like we have a separate course that is called economy, a separate one that's biology, a separate one that's math, a separate one that's ge- geography. Yeah. And if you look at organizations, we all have like there's the Department of Communications, the Department of Finances. Um, yeah. And and even if you look like at a, um, an organogram of an organization, it's all in boxes and they're all separated. Mm-hmm. But reality is that everything is, is more interconnected. So one of the ways that we approach these complex challenges is trying to bring all of these different perspectives together. Yeah. Uh, so whatever challenge we're facing, we often try to bring in a really diverse group of stakeholders together that would normally not collaborate with each other. Because often you see that government is trying to their, do their thing and create their policies, and then civil society is trying to do their thing and activists are doing their thing. Um, and we often create spaces where all of those people uh, come together in the same room. So sometimes that means that when we're working on drugs criminality um, in the southern part of the Netherlands, we'll have leaders from governmental institutions, from the police, from the law system, um, but also youth workers, ex or current criminals, people with lived experience. Um, and we often bring them into a, a process of, of collaboration for multiple days in a row together and then for multiple months. So that's often often how we approach these, these, these challenges is to try to bring in as many perspectives in the room and to shift the way that they're in, in relationship together, the way they communicate with each other and the way that they collaborate. Yeah. To also create the, the connection, especially, as you said, to to break out of the boxes mm-hmm. that people are thinking in. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Connect, connection is one of the... Um, often we think about, like, when we're in a process of collaboration or any type of process, we often look at, like, the tangible outcomes, right? Like, what's the project that's coming out of it? Like, what's the intervention? What's the campaign? Um, but one of the things that we're learning is that often quality of relationship and quality of connection is much more important than the Mm. physical tangible outcomes and sometimes we see that we've done the work and we've done a process of collaboration and years later something happens between a couple of people who didn't know each other before but met each other in the process and started to do things differently together Um, which is often an outcome that we can't predict but often something we see happening from the work that we do. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it seems to me especially interesting to facilitate that process in the Netherlands because Mm -hmm. the Dutch culture is very much aimed towards um, like efficiency Mm -hmm. and getting the results Mm -hmm. and not necessarily about fostering relationships. Mm -hmm. So that must be quite an interesting cultural challenge Mm -hmm. in that sense as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I love your questions. Thank Uh, you. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, no, definitely. I think, uh, yeah, there's definitely a cultural element for Dutch folks. And, And I think in general, because everything is... How to say that? I think because everything is so short-term focused and we're all living in a capitalist mindset in a sense, like everybody needs to have direct results. And we often think in in linear planning processes and stuff needs to happen right now. Mm -hmm. And just 
inviting people to slow down is often uncomfortable for people because we ask people to to be together in a beautiful like retreat location for three days um, and we send people off to for walks in nature um, and at first like I also remember like I, I also did some 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 workshops uh, for some of the, the uh, teams here at the Hansa um, and often what we do is um, we start in a circle like mm. no tables like no only chairs and a circle and people often feel quite uncomfortable when they become a bit giggly like oh the last time i did this was when i was back in kindergarten and, and oh we're yeah. probably going to work with a lot of post-its i've done this like a zillion times like that's mm. often some of the energy that we we see people arriving with and then throughout the process we invite people to connect to each other to share stories and then they start to actually see that um, this way of working and the way of shifting how to be in dialogue actually creates more meaningful outcomes than the normal work meetings that we have, which I have to say are often quite horrendous. Like the quality of conversation in work meetings is horrible, mm. like nine out of 10 times. Yeah. Like imagine like either here at the Hanzo whole government bodies, like commercial uh, companies, like if you just envision those meeting rooms and then someone has created an agenda and people sit behind their table and then there's an agenda that not everybody agrees on, thinks they're relevant. Some people are like checking their email. Some people are on their phone. Some people are just thinking about what to have for dinner. And yeah. then once this meeting is done, everybody's thinking like, not really sure what we agreed on, not really sure why it was here. Um, and I think one of the things that, I, that I've experienced that it is possible to... Uh, to have such better quality of conversations. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's one of the, the, yeah, I don't know, one of the big big leverage points or big things that we can change. And we kind of have to if you look at some of the challenges that we're facing as society as well. Yeah, um, yeah, because some challenges that like the, the people in power are currently having to face aren't necessarily challenges that they're going to experience if mm -hmm. they don't reach mm -hmm. certain goals, for mm -hmm. example. So I can imagine that facilitating conversations for example, about sustainability can be quite mm. difficult there. Mm -hmm. So how do you view that connection between communication and sustainability there? Um, because you've mentioned culture mm -hmm. and, and communication and mm -hmm. briefly mentioned sustainability, but mm -hmm. I'm not sure about the link just yet. Um, so so for me, the, the, the connection is, is again about the, the, um, the interconnectedness and the intertwinedness. Mm -hmm. And this notion of, I, I think um, it's language that you hear a lot as well now, uh, and it's becoming quite mainstream also in universities around wicked problems and mm -hmm. the complexity of, of challenges. And um, one of the, the, um, the fundamental characteristics of complex challenges, such as mm -hmm. the climate crisis, is they cannot be solved by one single individual mm. actor or organization. Like they require radical and fundamental collaboration yeah. between parties that don't like or trust or agree with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and facilitating that process of collaboration always requires communication, whether that's communication like in written form, in terms of media, in terms of facilitating conversations. Um, but for me, the connection there is, is about um, just the the sheer necessity of collaboration uh, within it. Like, you're not going to solve the climate crisis and I'm not going to do it. Um, our politicians are not going to do it. The Netherlands as a country is not going to do it. Yeah. And it requires collaboration on, on an almost an unimaginable level in yeah. that sense. And I think it's the first time like in human history where we collectively as a species now need to collaborate um, in service of our own. I don't want to frame this negatively. So. 
yeah, maybe in service of our survival in a sense, yeah. right? So for me, that's that's the connection um, between those is that they like sustainability and, and 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 the climate crisis fundamentally needs collaboration and therefore also communication yeah. on all kinds of different levels. Yeah, um, I really like how with this answer you're kind of tying together the en entire conversation of of what you do with like pulling people together to solve a problem that's too large to solve on your own in which you need communication cultural sensitivity things like that and it seems like very dynamic work in that sense it is it is yes it is very dynamic work and i get uh, i get to meet a lot of wonderful inspiring human beings um, i get to learn about all kinds of different challenges so i uh, i i think my expertise and the expertise of the organization that i work with is in facilitation and in in collaboration and it's about the process and not necessarily around the content, right? So often um, we create the, con the, the conditions for the people who are content expertise or have lived experience for them to have the conversation that really matter for them. Um, mm -hmm. So that allows me to work on lots of different types of challenges uh, at different locations and I get to meet amazing people. Uh, yeah on the go as well so yeah, yeah it's really dynamic yeah you were just in uh south africa i believe yes yeah and that yep. was also for your work partially or um yeah partially so rios partners the organization that i work for is a global organization mm -hmm. um, so we have offices uh across the, uh, the world every year or this was the first time since three or four years because the pandemic happened but mm -hmm. every year we have a global meeting um, where people from all of our offices we get together and we got together in Cape Town for five days. And that's where we then have our strategy meeting, our connection, uh, et cetera. And I was facilitating that uh, that global meeting as well. Oh, wow. and, um, and, and so to get back on uh, some of the earlier conversations, we were also having the conversation around race and decolonization within our own organization. And yeah, so again, so facilitating that is is, is, is turbulent, it's dynamic, but it can also be quite beautiful. Uh, yeah, yeah. it sounds incredible. Mm. So. I'm actually curious, how did you end up at this work? Because I I can't imagine how you end up in a place like this mm -hmm. because it sounds magical. Mm. Um, how does that happen? <laughs> I wouldn't say magical, though. It's also just really hard work and tough mm. work. And, and sometimes it doesn't go well. And sometimes Fair. we do something and then people fully disagree or move into a, uh, uh, not in the direction. But mm. um, it is, it is, it is really, I really enjoy my work. Um, and how did I end up in this? So... As I said before, my first academic love was intercultural communication. Mm. And I, I always thought like, oh, this is going to be my, my niche, my expertise. And then I started working for the province of Drenthe here uh, ah, in, yeah. uh, in the Netherlands. And that's where I got introduced to this sustainability challenge. Like my, I think my official assignment that was, I think about 10 years ago now, was to set up a social dialogue around the energy transition. Hmm. And I didn't have any any background knowledge around sustainability and sustainability and, and energy transitions. But that's where I got introduced to this way of thinking around multi-stakeholder collaboration. And we experimented. There, there was a lot of room for me to experiment. And we experimented with some, some um, innovative ways of bringing different people together. So in hindsight, I was then already facilitating that process, but I didn't have the language for it. And I didn't know that it was actually a job you could have or that there was yeah. a whole community of practice and a whole body of scientific grounding and literature to, to, to ground the, the way of working in. And so I, re I really enjoyed that way of working. And then I was looking for this um, professional training in a certain met methodology called the natural step, which is a methodology like specifically in relation to sustainability. Mm -hmm. um, and there was this little link on their website 
that said something about the 10 month master's program in Karlskrona in Sweden. Never heard of it. And um, this was a master's in strategic leadership towards sustainability. Yeah. Um, and I was late 20s back then. And then my, my personal life changed a little bit. And there was a lot of opportunity for me uh, again. And then I thought, oh, let me do something different with my life. So I quit my job and did another master's in strategic leadership towards sustainability. And that whole program is is a facilitated learning experience. And, and, and so I had a really rich learning experience there. And I realized like, ah, this way of learning through conversation and to be in conversation um, around what you're learning with others is so much more rich than lecturers download stuff in your brain and you need to yeah. regurgitate that. So I did that master's program and then I was planning on going back here. Actually, I had already accepted a job at the Hanse. Um, but then at that university, they asked me to stay and become one of the facilitators of that master's program. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I got to uh, yeah, really hone my craft as a facilitator um, as well. And yeah, I really started practicing. Um, there's something about, I guess, seeing your work as an art form. So the art of helping people to be in meaningful conversations is something you need to practice like with any art form, whether that's cooking or playing football or painting. Like you can read hundreds of cookbooks, but it doesn't make you a good cook. Like you need to practice and you need to cook and you need to taste and you need to improve. Same goes for football. I can watch YouTube videos. I can read about it. doesn't make me a good football player. I need to practice. So I just practiced a lot and I'm I'm still practicing and I will be forever practicing this uh, this art form. But it seems like a very useful skill to practice Mm. and to master Mm. in that Mm. sense because it's from what I understand, something that you use in your work, but also facilitating conversations is also something that you do in your daily life, almost. Mm-hmm. Even when you're talking about the grocery list, for example, you need to have a conversation about that. Yes. Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, sometimes I can't stop thinking as a lover of conversation, or sometimes I get really annoyed when conversations are not... Yeah. So I recently did a project um, for this big global organization and um, we were asked to, to facilitate their their leadership retreat and uh, it was 250 people from all over the world but there was not a lot of freedom and flexibility for us to do our work what we're good at and we were just running their agenda and um, it made me really sad because I could just see the potential of what would have been possible and I, and I just see that happening a lot when I see meetings happening where people are not necessarily in tunes or paying attention or there's an agenda that doesn't make sense to people so sometimes um, it's also a bit of a curse but yeah 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 that's one of the downsides of getting into communication mm-hmm. like it's something that happens so much around you that mm. you start looking at the world in a different way i notice it mm. myself as a multimedia specialist that yeah. sometimes i look at logos or advertisements mm-hmm. and i'm like oh my god yes <laughs> I exactly can't stop yes. not looking at it professionally yes. yeah exactly yeah. We're actually already at 25 minutes, almost hey. 26. So the conversation flew by. Hey, um, that's a good sign, huh? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Mm. Is there anything you still want to reflect boy. on? Or <laughs> if you have any questions or insights or also Honestly, from a MIG perspective? I think it's incredibly interesting to learn about this, this more interpersonal side of communication mm. because the way that we're learning about it it's very much focused on on businesses. And of course, businesses consist of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that added perspective mm-hmm. of, hey, it's not just this big entity that you're dealing with, but mm-hmm. these individual persons, I think mm-hmm. is a very interesting mm-hmm. perspective mm-hmm. that you've given me today. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that that translates for others as well mm-hmm. who are listening. Cool. Yeah. So Thanks. thank you for that. 
I mentioned before we started uh, that my last question is always, what is your favorite country to travel mm-hmm. to? Um, yeah, so I, I, I have to say Indonesia. Um, mm. It is... Um, it's where my roots are. It's where part of my family still lives. And I used to travel to Indonesia a lot. I lived in Indonesia for a while. And yeah, I would say it's the most beautiful country in the world. It has the most mm. amazing people in terms of nature. There's still some of the most ancient rainforests with orangutans still living there and rhinos and elephants. But you also have the most beautiful underwater scenery. There's volcanoes, there's mountains. The food is wonderful. That sounds incredible. Yes. Yeah. So I would e- recommend everybody to experience it. Yeah. What's your favorite country to travel to? Oh, wow. Um, I think one of my favorite countries I've been to mm-hmm. uh, has been South Korea, just because mm. it's such a different perspective mm-hmm. um, and such a different culture than what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that was during Corona time. Mm-hmm. So I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure if my perception of how the country was is actually accurate. Mm-hmm. But I really liked that their perception of the world is so mm. different than what we here in the <laughs> West um, have. Mm. So I thought that was very interesting and I'd love to go back at some point. Yeah. Can I ask you one follow-up question? I know that I'm taking over your no, role that's a bit. Okay. <laughs> um, so from a intercultural perspective, there's this concept which is called rich points. I don't know if you've come across that. Not yet. So it's this concept where when you're traveling abroad or you're in a like immersed in a completely different cultural context, you often like there's often moments where you can almost physically feel it where you're like oh i don't have any points of reference here like this is completely new to me yeah did you have an experience like that Ooh, unfortunately i wasn't there for super long i was supposed mm-hmm. to study there for three months but mm-hmm. corona cut it off mm-hmm. after three weeks but Definitely, it, it's in the little things. Like, mm. for example, being able to um, buy mandu, which is a type of dum- dumpling, mm-hmm. um, and then walk up a mountain in the middle of a big city and then look over the skyscrapers on top of a mountain while mm-hmm. eating your lunch mm-hmm. that you just bought for two euros mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. the mountain. Mm-hmm. Like, those were things that were, for me, so unique to the yeah. experience of being mm-hmm. there that I've never had here or would never be able mm-hmm. to have here. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as the, the, the almost marbled uh, city, the, there was a very unique mix, to me at least, between uh, nature and, and these enormous skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. And then there was this little temple hidden in a corner that you never mm-hmm. expected. And then I think one of the most magical moments was where I was sitting in the ancient city center with a glass of lemonade on mm-hmm. a little viewpoint, looking over at these houses that were hundreds of years old. And in the background, there was huge skyscrapers mm-hmm. and this... Contrast mm-hmm. is something that I very much enjoyed there. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so much to find within a few square kilometers. Mm-hmm. So that was unique. Yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you too. I, I really appreciate the question. So I think that's very cool. Uh, but we really do have to round off. Uh, thank you so much for the interesting conversation. And I will definitely be, be asking you for a little bit more information because uh, I'm intrigued for sure. Right. Cool. Thanks uh, for the invitation. I really enjoyed it as well. Thank you for listening. The podcast Mastering Communication is brought to you by the Master's Program in International Communication of the Hanse University of Applied Sciences in Groningen. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you in the next one.